Welcome to the Top Order Podcast. In this week in cricket, we're going to talk South Africa, Sri Lanka, England, Sri Lanka preview. We're going to talk about the Super Smash, a BBL update, and then we're going to get into the meaty part of the podcast. Australia versus India, plenty of drama to talk about, and another comprehensive victory for the Black Caps, attaining the number one test ranking for the first time ever. So heaps coming up on the Top Order Podcast. Stay tuned. So we'll start with some quick fire stuff in this week in cricket. We want to talk a little bit about South Africa, Sri Lanka first, Lippy. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, the, the things to mention here, I guess, uh, I, I suppose in, in talking about the Sri Lanka, India, uh, Sri Lanka, England stuff, we want to just mention obviously that they've just been in South Africa and that they lost that series 2 0. They, South Africa, obviously, there's been so much drama off the field for them, a, a huge. I think a huge momentum shift in terms of actually just getting some cricket on the field. There's been mm. a lot of stuff going on and then winning at really comprehensively. Yeah. Massive Philip for South Africa to get off to a good start in terms of their play on the field, having endured so much administrative and off field drama. The big highlight for me was the fact that guys other than Quinton de Kock and, and Faf stood up, although Faf did get 199, but it was great <laughs> to see. Today. It was great to see the guys that weren't in that limited over setup, you know, Elgar, Markram, um, their bowling attack other than Rabada get wickets, you know, Nokia got six for him. We were a big fan of his in, in the IPL while we were watching that. So plenty to like from a South African perspective, Sri Lanka really beset by injuries and there's not really much that they can write home about from that tour other than the fact that they competed, you know, uh, 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 well, given the number of injuries that they had. Is that a, is that a get out of jail free card though? I mean, you look at the way England played when they went to South Africa just prior to COVID, they won that, fairly convincingly. Mm. And then now Sri Lanka has just been blown off the park. Is the injuries enough of a, enough of a, a reason for that golf? When you, when your test side doesn't have the depth of England or, or India, I mean, you have a look at India's injury list at the moment and it's a mile long. It's as long as your arm. Sri Lanka don't have the benefit of having that kind of depth in their test cricket side. So a key injury to even one player can be massively impactful in terms of their fortunes as a test nation, but you're right. It's not an excuse um, and they wouldn't see it as such, but it is an extenuating circumstance in terms of the result, in my view. Yeah, I think the the other thing is that South Africa, I think of, yeah, we the off-the-field problems have been well-documented, but they have got a pretty handy pace attack when you've got um, a victory like that without Rabada in the side. And them even saying, you know, that he was going to have to really prove his fitness to play any part in the series. But yeah, I mean, five guys going down in a game, you're always going to be behind the eight ball um, from that perspective. And I guess kind of moving on to the England-Sri um, Lanka series, it'd be interesting to see how they can bounce back or, or, you know, will they bounce back? Will they just be completely demoralised going into that series with, you know, the injuries that they've suffered? Or will they see it as, hey, we've got a point to prove, particularly um, at home um, and, you know, in conditions that, you know, you would say are not necessarily going to favour them, but they are going to be able to, um, yeah, acclimatise a little bit quicker than perhaps England who have, been in a quarantine or you know some kind of um, isolation for a period of time limited preparation coming into that test match um, and yeah very difficult to bowl in sort of 40 degree heat if you've uh, just come from England where there's snow on the ground in most provinces. Bingsy what do you what do you think that uh, bowling attack looks like for England? The England attack look I I guess the caveat I think I would I would put on this is what the pitches are like. Um, you know, the Sri Lankan guys have actually got, for the first time in a little while, a little bit of pace in that attack. 
Um, so I, I, I wouldn't necessarily be saying that they've got three spinners, the quality of, you know, a Murali, a Rangana Herath, um, that they've had in the past and, and be able to just say, right, we're going to pick two, uh, you know, two frontline spinners, probably a third uh, spinner as well, and, and are going to outgun any other spin attack. I think, A, they've got a little bit of uh, a little bit of pace. Um, and then, look, I, I think the other thing for England is whether or not they are willing to, you know, I, I guess take a little bit of a risk with that, uh, with that spin attack. They've, they've drafted two spinners into the reserve list so mason crane and amir verdi have been mentioned as you know potentially being available for selection if england do decide to go with three spinners i think they're going to be relatively conservative i think they would have wanted to play moeen ali and i think that that might have been at the expense of don best so that they could have that left arm tweak of jack leach with an off spinner um, and also just lengthen that batting a little bit to give them those bowling options with the seam attack that they've got, because they would want to get a Mark Wood, I think in there for some genuine pace. Um, so yeah, the Moeen COVID test has thrown the cat amongst the pigeons from that perspective. Um, I think if he'd have been able to play, it would have been um, Moeen, Anderson, Broad, Wood, and then um, Leach um, and, and sort of back in Moeen to sort of bat, uh, yeah, bat seven probably behind Butler at six. Um, but yeah, I, I think that they might actually go with a seam, uh, you know, more seam heavy option now. Your favourite topic, Adam, has reared its head again the talk of uh, wicket keeping for England. Joss Butler, the incumbent, had a golden duck in the warm up game. Ben Folks has been talked about as potentially playing on tour. Johnny Bairstow, according to media reports, is banging down the door for a test recall, potentially as a specialist batsman. What's your view in a country where? you know, keeping excellence and, and tidiness standing up to the spinners is going to be so important. What's your view on what the England selectors should be doing as far as the Glovemen are concerned? Yeah, so look, um, Bairstow has been told that he isn't going to be considered to take the gloves at any point. He's, you know, his chance of a recall is purely as a batsman um, and, and that's been pretty well documented. What I think the selectors should do and what I think the selectors will do are two different things. What I think they should actually do, and I kind of on Twitter, I posted my 11, which had folks coming in at seven, Butler um, at six, and, and still managed to squeeze two spinners in. Um, that that would have been my option. Um, but I think that they will go with Butler as the gloveman, despite the fact that folks actually opened the batting in that warm-up game for uh, the 11 that he was part of. And, uh, you know, we haven't uh, touched on the fact that... Um... Uh, Joffrey Archer and Ben Stokes are, are being rested for this tour. It sounds like um, Joss Butler is going to be rested for for some of the England tour to India. After that, the it does mean that some of these new players will get some opportunities. Dan Lawrence, who is obviously uh, you know sort of in consideration a little bit uh, in the, the England home summit. I mean, does that excite you as an England fan? Yeah, look, I guess it always excites you to see a new player coming into the side, particularly a batter with the talent that Lawrence has got. Um, by all accounts, you know, a very, very good shot maker, um, very leg side dominant in the way that he set up. Um, but apparently through the county season, went through a little bit of a, um, a lean trot and decided to just actually try and stand still rather than have this big predetermined trigger, which apparently has opened up his offside game, which I think if you look at, um, one of the criticisms of England on subcontinental tours in the past is that they haven't been able to rotate the strike by, you know, dropping the ball and angling the, 
the face and getting that, you know, getting that off strike. Sibley um, being one that's, you know, been given a little bit of a hard time about his ability, inability to kind of beat mid-wicket um, and to get one off the spinner. So, yeah, look, really excited to see Lawrence potentially get a go. And as you mentioned, some opportunities coming up. I, I just think it depends really on where this uh, race to Lords for the Test Championship is is going if England can somehow wrestle their way into the reckoning um, and they're in India and need to win a test match, are they really going to put Joss Butler on a plane home if he's in the best 11? Um, so yeah, that's that's going to be a pretty interesting call as they get to nine test matches against India before the Ashes next year. That's unbelievable, isn't it? The, the, English, uh, the amount of tests that England are playing. So that's obviously starting in a couple of days. But quickly, let's before we move on from this week in cricket, let's quickly wrap uh, the Super Smash in, in the BBL. Will the update from the BBL? Yeah, Sydney good, Melbourne not so good in the BBL. <laughs> nine games played, uh, or near enough to make no difference to nine games played. The Stars, Strikers, and a couple of other teams. I think the Scorchers are up tonight as well. So the Melbourne teams anchored to the bottom. The Melbourne Stars, three and four. The Melbourne Renegades uh, got a win, first win in seven games the other night, and they're sitting now at two and seven. So they're on the bottom. The Heat also out of the reckoning, but uh, having a four-game homestand in Brisbane on the Gold Coast has certainly helped their cause. They're sitting at four and five and just out of the top five. Speaking of which, the Perth Scorchers have also had a homestand and have really reversed their fortunes in this tournament around. They're now sitting at four and three with one no result and a game in hand on the teams in the top four. And they are, and from top to bottom, uh, the Sydney Sixers uh, trading blows with the Sydney Thunder for that top sport, uh, top spot. Both teams on six wins, three losses, but the Sixers have two more bonus points. So the bonus points uh, are proving uh, to be very important in terms of the race for the finals. The team I so really the fancy, power surge is that ball. The eh? power surge. Um, the team that I really fancy, the Hobart Hurricanes, they're at five and four and looking pretty good as well on 19 points. Uh, and the Adelaide Strikers in fourth place at four and five. So there's a lot of movement still in that top five. Uh, if the Scorchers can win their next game, they'll shoot right up the ladder and, and put the cat amongst the pigeons and the, and the Brisbane Heat, having played at home, have got uh, themselves off the bottom of the ladder. But just a reminder for listeners that the Melbourne sides haven't really played at home yet and they'll play the majority of their final five games uh, in the round-robin series at home in Melbourne, COVID permitting. And have any of the teams used their pop idol X-Factor substitution or whatever it's called? Yeah, a couple have with with mixed results. Uh, I haven't seen any X-Factor players make a big difference in terms of the outcome of the match. Uh, the Adelaide Strikers had a fairly good uh, X-Factor sub where they bowled everybody and decided who their worst bowler was and then subbed that guy off and, and, and brought in brought in someone. But, but for it's me... Monday all, nights. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's all about reading the conditions, really. If you're going to bowl first and you're reading the conditions, I think it was a... It might have been Strikers Hobart or, or something like that where it was quite obvious that spin wasn't going to play a factor and both sides hooked their spinners after 10 overs um, and went with an, either an extra batsman or an extra pace bowler. And I think that's really the only way in which that really makes sense from a from a tactical point of view for mine but that's the rule that i've enjoyed the least so far in this bbl season and i i, I also saw you mentioned scorches before colin Munro's had a bit of form 350s uh, so that's obviously good from a, a new zealand perspective and I, I did see him chatting about how uh the whatever that point is that that you get for for being ahead in at 10 overs yeah the the we forget who bash, cares? The, no, the, the bash, bash, the bash, bash boost, bash boost, whatever that Not is. Not the power surge, the bash boost point. That that was kind of ruining the spectacle actually of the game, which was interesting point interesting. because I think Raj, when we first uh, talked about it, Raj, you might want to talk about yourself in the third person here. Third person here. I mean, um, when you you talked about it, you talked about how it could be easily manipulated, and 
And that's kind of what's happening is that teams that are losing a couple of wickets, chasing a big total, they're going, oh, well, we can't win the game, but let's just go and be eight for 90 after our 10 overs. And then we'll at least get one point out of this game, which is, yeah, I can see, I can definitely see his point there. Yeah. Look, I don't think that any of these rules that we've seen have been a massive success, to be honest. Um, aside from the fact that a lot of them have already been tried and tested mm. and, and out of the game again, I, I just think that they need to maybe go back to the drawing board and think of some, some extra innovations. Of the three, though, I actually like the bonus point the most because I think it, it, it will, to a certain extent, take net run rate maybe out of the equation mm. a little bit. And I always find that for the casual fan, net run rate is a really difficult thing to explain, particularly in permutations leading into a final um, where you've got to explain to someone, well, in order for you know Brisbane to qualify, they have to win their last two games and then they have to beat the other team by some unknown amount of runs or score their run in, in some unknown amount of overs. Mm. No one really quite knows what that number is unless you've got a slide rule and a secret decoder ring, but it's quite easy <laughs> to explain a bonus point. If you've got more runs than the other team halfway through, then you get a point, which is, which is easier to consume from the casual fan. I, I guess the difference with that is that a lot of the other sports have a, a point or extra point system that's based relative to the game mm. whereas this is just a fixed point as in on the 10th over where were you rather than having okay we beat them by by 40 percent again of- harder to consume for the casual fan and and from where i'm from in the world uh you need to keep it <laughs> as simple as possible for for us simple folk to understand the maths of two, it two heads mm. Mm. let's move to the smarter side of the tasman then and and go to the super smash i mean uh it's it's actually been pretty much business as usual so far uh in terms of uh wellington being on the top of the table in, in both uh, the women's and the men's competitions, Firebirds and and um, and the Blaze, just, yeah, great starts. The Kerr sisters doing it again, just runs and wickets. Amelia Kerr just continues to uh, to impress Incredible it cricketer. At, at all levels. I don't know if any of you guys saw uh, Logan Van Beek's catch over the weekend. Oh, just wow. amazing. That's doing the rounds on, on all the internets. All the internets have Logan Van Beek's catch. Incredible. Yeah, I think if anyone, any <laughs> listeners that haven't seen that, just yeah, type in Logan Van Beek Super Smash. It is absolute quality. But I think that the biggest thing I wanted to pick up from the Super Smash is the fact that the the Black Caps are coming back into the, the sides now. And mm. it's actually going to be a really important little month, I think, because once, once we move on from the Super Smash, we're going to go into T20s against Australia. We're going to go into T20s against Bangladesh. And then it's kind of the end of the domestic season no you won't get in these people players that are just on the fringe they won't get another opportunity to yep. push their claim for the world cup spots at the end of the year so yeah people like doug bracewell george worker ajs patel even has come back and, and been quite nice Paulie, for you kiwi guys how many spots and say it's a 17 man squad to go to the world cup t20 world cup in india this year realistically how many spots do you think are up for grabs in that 17 Quick interruption on that, guys. Do we do we know what the squads are going to be for that World Cup? Because presumably there's going to have to be expanded COVID. Well, yeah, squads. You're, abso- you're absolutely right. But let's let's because normally it's 15 or 16, isn't it, for a, mm. for an ICC tournament? But you, you would have thought they're going to be able to take maybe 20 people. Yeah, it's a lot more fun as an argument if I if I make Stuart <laughs> and Raj pick 17 rather than 21. Well, so let, let's say let's let's say it's let's let's meet the middle. Let's say it's nineteen. You've got nineteen guys who can go. How many spots do you reckon are up for grabs? How many names are already on that sheet? I would say there's probably a lot of names on the sheet, given that the way that the that squad has been performing. 
Um, but I think the thing is that some of the names that are on, on that sheet already and have been in those squads, like a Bracewell, like a Chapman, you know, Jacob Duffy. Yeah, Jacob Duffy. Uh, even even AJ's as as I mentioned because we're playing going to be playing in India. You know, Todd mm-hmm. Astle. These guys, they're not going to be able to take all of them. I guess is my point. And they're really going to have to. You know, George Worker's been banging the door down, and scoring runs, scored a hundred, scored two seventies. But I think he's going to have to. He'd have to score seventy a game probably to get in that squad because of the way that you know the the squad has been yeah, going. So the, the the big thing or the the kind of the dampener to your question there, Baldy, is because of the sort of condensed nature of the season we've had heaps of people you know playing in those 2020 squads that mm. wouldn't usually because the test players are either resting or they're on or their they're way available. to the to the yep. test series so yeah I, I don't think i don't think there'll be too many surprises there like someone like bracewell who hasn't really played i think he'll be on that plane you mm. know what i mean well so. he's been he's playing great every opportunity he's getting and and yeah even chapman who um we thought played really well and that that opportunity he did get for new zealand so like great yeah it's it's going to be a, a good watch at least for for the next month with uh, all of our stars on show so that just about wraps up uh rambling through the various goings on in cricket before we cover um the live action or nearly live action of australia india and then last week's um, awesome events for the black caps in new zealand versus pakistan so by contractual obligation here's a swish and we'll be back very very shortly welcome back to the podcast third time having a crack at this link to be fair we're going to talk new zealand pakistan series now so guys and particularly lippy and raj you you must be buzzing with the number one ranking for the first time ever Oh yeah, mate. It, it's been. Uh, I think we're sort of running out of superlatives for this New Zealand side this summer. I mean, we've talked about it at nausea at nauseum this whole summer about how great they've been going. And um, you know, I mean, the the thing we've just talked with Jacob Warren, which we'll play uh, in about a week, and and he said he found it hard to to not be a cheerleader when he was uh, in the commentary box. And you know, that's that's kind of what we we're doing here as as uh, as podcasters, just here chatting. I mean, I am a fan, obviously, but. They've just been great. Yeah, I mean, absolutely proud of the proud of the boys that we have that ranking. Mm. I think maybe it, you know, that, that spectre is hanging over us of our, our tour to Australia last year. But I mean, we definitely deserve to be in the top three in world cricket, and that's something massive, I think, for New Zealand. Massive Philip for the New Zealand side. I mean, there's been a lot of people talk about home conditions in New Zealand and and how that number one ranking might come with an asterisk because of the conditions that New Zealand present. But New Zealand was sent in three times this summer mm. and all three times posted 400 plus batting first on so-called green wickets, green seeming wickets. So a massive outcome for New Zealand to prove that they are a genuinely fantastic cricket side, not just in conditions that suit them, but conditions that are suitable for bowling. And they did tremendously well. Yeah. And I mean, Kane obviously is one of the the main reasons for that. I mean, you you rattle through his scores. He's 251 against West Indies, 129 and 21 against Pakistan, and then 238 in the final test against Pakistan. Number one in the world. Uh, and I mean, absolutely deserved to be there. I mean, yeah, there might be debate about whether New Zealand is the number one team in the world, but Kane Williamson, on, on the way he's been going, it's just been un- unbelievable. And I, what was so amazing, I thought, was he just seemed to be in such a zone in that innings. He was calling out. Did you guys notice that he was calling out? Wait there when he was when he was like leaving the ball. He he was just he just seemed, to, which is a very kind of Manus 
and Steve Smith kind of thing to be doing. But, uh, you know, maybe that's what you have to do to be a, a fantastic batsman. You just have to get in that zone. Yeah. I mean, maybe he's just trying to wind up Shane Warne. <laughs> yeah. Um, positive outcomes, really, when you think about it. It's hard. You know, we, we're talking about Kane Williamson over and over again. I guess I kind of want to look at it from a different point of view. 50% of New Zealand's runs in that Pakistan series was scored by Williamson and, and Henry Nichols. Mm. Is that a bit of a concern in terms of there was a lot of runs scored in that in that series and, mm. and pretty much all of them seemed, or half of them pretty much, came from those two blokes? I don't think it's... A, I'm not especially concerned about it. Obviously, um, you know, if you look at that game and Henry Nichols, uh, that, I mean, that Shaheen Shafridi no ball when it could have, could have had Nichols out and we would have been 74 for four. That's a massive moment in the game. I think if he gets that wicket then... We're in a little bit of trouble. I mean, you know, that that posted almost 300. We, you know, the ball was doing a little bit. But in saying that, I'm not especially concerned because Kane Williamson missed a match and we still managed to, against the West Indies, and we still managed to put together plenty of runs and, and it just wasn't a concern. And I mean, Kane Williamson, you know, touch wood, he's going to be he's going to be in the side anyway. So mm. I, I think what has been great is that someone like Daryl Mitchell has come in, scored 100, you mentioned Henry Nichols. He was under a bit of pressure before. Tom Latham, without actually kicking on and getting a big score, has has looked pretty good. You know, Ross Taylor hit that important sixty odd in the in the um, in the in, Boxing Day test. In yeah. the Boxing Day test. So there has been contributions from everyone, even if you know Kane has has been the real star. And, and Henry Nichols. I mean, it's funny when you you talk about Nichols because he just had so many chances, like to to be out. And he, yeah, I don't know. I don't. I mean, I I. I struggle because obviously he took those chances and, you know, made absolutely made the most of them. But yeah, I struggled to put him in that same class with Kane in the sense that in the sense of our summer, because of the way that Kane did it almost chancelessly. Whereas yeah, Henry Nichols did have a few opportunities. Chaps for Pakistan, the shoes on the other foot. What did you make of their performance in New Zealand? They were maybe outgunned, but maybe not outclassed as a, as a cricketing unit coming to this part of the world. Uh, look, I, I'm. We've talked about Pakistan's bowling a lot actually during this, this podcast mm. over the the year that we've been on. In a word, I think their bowling was poor. Uh, all, all their bowlers averaged over forty, uh, and their strike rates are incredibly high for the Red Bull Tour. Mm. I'm talking about, uh, I think, and, and there was a, a, a report today that Misbah and Waka Yunus are going to be under review. For their for their performances, uh, over especially in New Zealand was one they highlighted mm. uh, because in all in all honesty, they that bowling attack should be taking wickets in New Zealand, mm. and they see we talked about it when they were in Australia, we talked about it when they were in England. They don't seem to perform when Yasser Shah does not perform. Mm -hmm. He didn't even play that that second test. I'm not sure if there was injury or he just got just, coach's decision. Yeah, coach, coach's decision. D I think it was DNPCD, really. Yeah. So yep. that that's that is that is massive. And it, I think that review is 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 gonna come. Who do you reckon is most in the gun for that bowling performance? I feel like Mohammed Abbas, as good as he's been throughout his test career, lacked really penetration. A guy who has made a career out of nibbling the ball around at kind of New Zealandish conditions pace, 125, 130 probably should have got more out of the wickets than, than he was able to, or is it across the board, all three of those fast bowlers who played in those test matches should come under the pump a little bit in the in the retrospective? Well, I guess for me, it depends what his role is. Because uh, Mohamed Abbas, he bowled 27 maidens. In mm. the, in Open the bowling. 
in that series, and there was 38 by the rest of the bowlers. So he, mm. he bowled, you know, just under half of the maidens in the series. And if that's just what he's going to do is just type an end, somebody has to be taking wickets from the other end. And I think Charlie Shaheen, he bowled well, uh, but again, he just wasn't, he wasn't penetrating. Uh, and Nassim Shah, if you have a look back over his last few series, mm. it's, it's a little bit dire for him there. Yeah, I worry about Nassim. I mean, we, you know, I think... I worry that we've fallen into the trap of thinking he's a young guy who can bowl fast. So just give him as many opportunities as he can, because yeah, it just doesn't seem like it's happening for him at the moment, which is absolutely fine. And it's something I wanted to touch on a little bit with New Zealand in terms of the like courses for courses kind of selections that they, they've been doing. And, and we talked about with India, like I, I think as fans and as media, you know, the media, they, we kind of get all wound up about selections, but I think maybe we all have to take a step back and go, actually, it's fine if someone gets dropped if, mm. or, it's, or it's fine if they pick someone else and we, and we just don't get wound up about it because, you know, I, I, I think Nassim Shah probably shouldn't have played that second test just the way he'd been going and, and they could have brought someone else in. So, yeah, I, I, as you know, as in terms of Pakistan's future, I still think that there is a lot of hope for that, that core of their test side, you know, you add um, Baba back into that side and, and shut up Khan and this, players like Hassan Ali who are around the setup and things. So, mm. you know, I feel like, I do feel like Shaheen, you know, you think about the amount of catches and things that were dropped off, off their bowling. So I think there is certainly hope for, as a Pakistan fan, I wouldn't feel too downcast, but yeah. But you add Baba back into that batting lineup and they've got a, they've got a very stable and, and good looking top order, mm. but we've seen it a number of times, the bowling unit needs to turn up and they just yeah. haven't. Mm. Yeah, look, I, I think for me, I'm going to I'm going to take the you know the opposite point of view to a certain extent in that these guys don't tour New Zealand particularly often, um, and you know the the conditions. You guys are number one in the world and number one in the world for a reason, particularly exploiting your home conditions extremely well and knowing how to win. And and I'm not just talking about this summer. We go back to last summer and the way that you dismantled England. Um, you know, played extremely well at the Mount in that respect and, and knew how to win that game and take it really, really deep. And I think the other factor is that, you know, Pakistan have come off a isolation, you know, quarantine tour of England um, and then had to come and quarantine in New Zealand. You know, there was some press around that as well. Um, and then, you know, have, have backed that up with, a you know, a short series here as well. You've got to give the domestic restructure that they've, you know, that they've undergone and this coaching unit, I think, an opportunity to have three or four years with this side to, to really bed them in. Um, and look, I just hope that it isn't just another one of those reviews where the coaches lose their jobs and you're back to square one when, you know, I think they were built, building some momentum. It's going to be interesting when they play uh, when they go back to Pakistan now and play South Africa because we, we touched on it before and, and how South Africa, you know, dismantled Sri Lanka. It's going to be, yeah, really good. Obviously, great for them for South Africa just to be touring Pakistan and mm -hmm. going and playing some cricket there. But you know, on the field, I think that's going to be a really fascinating matchup in terms of where those two sides are at. Absolutely, and I mean, it's not all doom and gloom for Pakistan. There were some some bright points in this series from a from an individual perspective. I thought Fahim Ashraf looked really, really good as a Test cricketer, both with bat and with ball. Sure, he didn't penetrate the New Zealand batting lineup, but obviously 
he came on at first sec or second or third change even and was bowling predominantly against set batsmen and I thought did a reasonable job. He looks quite handy with the bat. We saw him in Auckland. He did well in the T20. So I think that's one highlight for them. I know he's not probably not going to play much more test cricket, but I was delighted to see Fawad Alam after 12 years without a test hundred, get another one again for Pakistan as well. So, you know, it's not all doom and gloom for them as far as they're concerned, but I think they do need to have a look at that bowling attack and whether or not it is more beneficial for a guy like Nassim to go back to domestic cricket, because we know that in the past, being dropped from the Pakistan team can create almost like a roundabout effect. You know, everyone, everyone's going in and out of the side and not really getting an opportunity to get themselves back into form um, or, or be, you know, secure in their place long enough to perform well for Pakistan. So that remains to be seen how they'll deal with the fallout from that series. And before we move on from uh, or like onto what's next for New Zealand, I just want to touch on the kind of uh, Daryl Mitchell's uh, impact in that game. And I, I thought firstly that it was really it was a really strong move that they actually picked him because Mitchell Santner got quite a bit of buzz after, you know, being the hero, I guess, in that first test. And, uh, you know, he, there was an article, I think on, on Crick Info perhaps, or somewhere that I saw, you know, Mitchell Santner make staking his claim for, for being a red ball cricketer. And, you know, but then they, they actually looked at the pitch and went, Mitchell Santner's not going to play a part here. Let's play Daryl Mitchell. And, and you could see, how pumped up he was when he scored that hundred, you know, it was great that Kane gave him that opportunity and yeah, I mean, they, there's going to be some really tough selection decisions coming up. I mean, you know, uh, I guess moving forward to, to what we're going to be doing, this talk of us going to the UK for two tests, but then we go to subcontinent and, and, you know, just uh, on the fact that we're going to have to play for, you know, we're not going to be playing four seamers over there for a start. So that's going to make for an interesting decision, but, you know, we've had all these all-rounders, but Colin de Gronholm hasn't been there. So, yeah, it's going to be... Are you making the selections, Stu? Well, I'm not making the selections. How do you know they could play four-seamers? Well, they might. Imagine, yeah, imagine if they do just play four-seamers over in India and... and yeah. You don't have to play two seam, two spinners just because you're in the subcontinent. No, you but, don't. But uh, just to back up your your thing on uh, Daryl Mitchell, I really enjoyed his his innings. Mm. I love the theatrics around it. Kane Williams, is he going to declare or is he not? Um, I... I I thought it was really good, and I'm I'm really pleased pleased for him. Yeah, and look, I mean, yeah, as as we said, it, it's going to be there's going to be some really tough calls that have come out of this series in terms of batting lineup, bowling lineup. You know, Youngs, Conway. There's a lot of players in around that test set, set up now, and and yeah, it's just exciting for New Zealand cricket. So yeah, very 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 pleased. And the road to Lords, you're feeling pretty confident. Oh, look, I mean, there's just so many permutations. I mean, we're going to touch on it shortly with uh, what's just unfolded here in, in the Australia-India. We're recording this on Monday night, so we've uh, we've just seen uh, the final final balls being bowled in that game. But, I mean, New Zealand have done everything they've been asked. I guess that's, that's all we can ask for as New Zealand fans. They've put themselves in their best position. They started the summer. They had to win all four tests and then hope that uh, the results went their way and that's what they've done. So, you know, now we just have to sit back and uh, hope your English boys can win a few tests over there against India and, and put us in an opportunity to, to get there. Well, that just about wraps up this segment of the pod and gives us a nice segue when we come back um, after this break. So we've just seen the test match um, unfold. So India held on for a pretty dramatic fifth day uh, draw. Baldy, I'll come to you first as our Australian correspondent. Your thoughts? An incredibly frustrating day as an Australian fan. 
uh, to watch India bat out the day. But you have to give credit to India. Those batsmen did an outstanding job on one leg, even, you know, Hanuma Fahari, uh, literally batting on one leg for, for almost three hours with Ravi Ashwin. Uh, uh, sorry, Ravindra Charan Ashwin, I should pronounce his name correctly. Um, an incredible performance, courageous batting uh, on the fifth day to deny Australia what at the start of the day, many pundits would, would looking like a, a lay down Mazir Australian victory. Um, but, but not just for those two, but for Rashad Punt, who you know, was injured uh, batting in the first innings, wasn't able to keep wicket, uh, but came out and, and played a really dashing innings, uh, innings of courage and of substance to get to 97 then, and then ultimately fall, actually gave India a chance um, at lunch to take that test and, and win it. Ultimately, he he wasn't able to go on and get the 140 or 150 that they needed for victory. But um, full credit must go to India for a, for a terrific batting performance. But I feel on review, if Australia sit down in that dressing room tonight and have a good hard look at themselves in a room of mirrors, you know, the Australian bowlers will probably feel like they didn't target the stumps enough. Um, I did I did see a statistic maybe shortly after lunch or maybe after tea on, on that fifth day where... Australia bowled 59 balls at India and only four of them were going to hit the stumps. And on day five, you really feel like you've got to either be short and at the body, making the batsman play or making them make a decision about whether or not the ball's going to be hitting the stumps. So from an Australian perspective, I just don't feel like that they were accurate enough with their skill execution from a bowling point of view, um, either bowling short and making the Indian batsman play them rather than let the ball go through uh, or trying to target the stumps. A question to the panel. What do you make of Nathan Lyon's performance? Uh, he, he didn't really, to me, seem effective in that second innings or the fifth day. I'll disagree. I disagree completely. He had Rishabh Pant drop three times on his way to 97 on, mm-hmm. before lunch on, on day five. If Tim Payne takes any one of those three chances, that changes the, ga- the complexion of the game completely. I felt like he did create enough chances. My only disappointing thing with Nathan Lyon, and Stuart, you can come in here from a tactical perspective, was that coming into lunch on day five, he had five guys on the fence, two overs before lunch, and even the over before lunch. You have to be able to attack a batsman when he's not looking to take you on. And I felt that Australia, from a tactical perspective, and that's not just Tim Payne, that's Lyon as well, need to take better um, advantage of the of the moments in the game when they can put the opposition under pressure, and India did a great job of that, putting Lyon back under uh, under pressure when Punt took him over the top a couple of times over long on, and then over long off and, and long on again, took the attack to Nathan Lyon, and Australia didn't do a good job of responding. But that would be the only criticism that I would level at Nathan Lyon from his bowling point of view. Sure, he didn't get the job done, but I think that there are, are reasons for that. What I thought was really fascinating about the spin response in this uh, game was that it, we've seen spin take such an important role in those uh, first two tests, you know, Ashwin and uh, Jadeja and Lyon. All of them have been really crucial bowlers. The The batsmen really knew that this game and they came out with a plan. They came out to attack those mm. bowlers and they didn't let them settle. And, I, you know, th- this is what test cricket's about, right? That we and you get a long series and you get these opportunities, you know, Smith really targeted Ashwin. And when they've done that in the past in this, this series, they've been dismissed. Like Matthew Wade has run, run down the wicket, hit one up in the air twice, gone twice. Mm. And, but Smith got on top of Ashwin and it really set that innings off. And same thing today with Rishabh Pant, he got, he got on top of Lyon and suddenly, you know, that, that game was on, like you said, I mean, you were messaging me during the day kind of, I mean, I think it's your default position to just think the worst and think that Australia is going to lose, which is strange because they just win all the time anyway that over the years. But, you know, 
they they really did have an opportunity to win, and that's what was so exciting about that test. I guess that's what I, that's where I was sort of going with this. Even at the end of day four, when Lyon came on, you saw Pajara was coming down the wicket to him, mm. putting him through cover. There was definitely plans to these bowlers this time, and um, I, I would just put that down to to better execution of plans by the Indian batsman. I don't think Nathan Lyon bowled particularly poorly. I just think that India particularly in the second innings of this third test, have had a much better plan to attack Nathan Lyon, hit him off his length, because he is he is the match winner for Australia and, and, and has been for a wee while now in that fourth innings. Both of those spinners, Lyon and Ravi Ashwin, both went wicketless in the first innings, which mm. I thought was incredible. Yeah. Different turnaround. It's been a fascinating part of the series. Mm. Yeah. I mean, and now we go to the Gabba one all, the Border Gavaskar Trophy still alive and still to play for. The momentum you would think now... Is, is definitely with India, if such a thing exists, because they were able to resist Australia for so long on day five, the mental and physical toll that it will take on the three Australian fast bowlers to have gone through all of that work for no reward, both mentally and physically will be telling, I think. So it will be very interesting to see um, what the Australian side does in terms of their response. But of course, India now have to deal with a, a, a yet another injury crisis in, in their touring party. Yeah, look, I guess that's the big thing, isn't it, Bordy? Is the physios are both going to be pretty busy? That the Australian physio trying to get um, Cummins and Hazelwood back up for another another uh, round so quickly, and then yeah, just whether or not there's enough sticking plaster in the in the kit bag to get some of those guys back out on the park for uh, for India. So yeah, that's going to be the fascinating thing for me. Um, any any comment on Pant being able to not kick wicket but then come out and smash ninety seven and Saha taking a few pouches? Well, it was interesting. The Australian journalist Peter Layla was up in arms. He he was triggered uh, at the at the at the prospect of Rashad Punt, completely within the rules. By the way, uh, I checked yeah, yeah. rules of cricket. Law twenty four only states that there are penalty restrictions in terms of players having time off the field and then coming back onto bowl. Uh, it, I, I'm not sure if it used to, but in my head, it used to say something about if you were off, you had to wait as a batter or or, or could come in at the fall of the fifth wicket. I couldn't find anything in law 24 around fielding substitutions or substitute players that has that in there now. So he's well, well within his rights uh, in terms of the laws of cricket um, to, to come in and and bat at five. And, and at one point he did look in a bit of discomfort. I think the first pull shot he played off one of the quickies, he he kind of grimaced a little bit, but a tremendous innings from Rishabh Pant and, the optics of it are, are, are tricky, you know, uh, particularly navigating that from an Australian perspective, watching on day five, you know, a guy who who isn't as good a wicketkeeper as Riddiman Saha being ruled out and not able to keep for the entire inning, spent the day recuperating and was then able to come out and bat in his normal position at the, in, in the middle order. You know, that was tri- tri- tricky for me to navigate emotionally, but but you just have to be impressed with the innings that he played and the way in which he did it. I also find it interesting... We're talking about momentum shifts going into Brisbane. I think there was a massive momentum shift in this game. You look at the Australian batting order, it's 10 times better just from a confidence point of view, looking at them. Huge. Not worrying about what they're actually scoring, but having that Warner, Pekowski, Manus, Smith, Wade, and then Green. That, that's a dominant top six and something that you have a bit of confidence about. And then you couple that with India losing so many bowlers over this tour. Mm. I think there's just a massive shift there where Australia's actually got a little bit of a dominant position. And, you know, they were talking about on the, I was talking to Stu about this on the way up. The commentators were saying this was one of their greatest, you know, escapes for India. I mean, I think that's a, you know, it's, it's there, but, yeah, for sure. But, but 
at the end of the day, they did save the match. I think they were, they were out of... I know Rishav Pant got India into the game, but really, if he had gotten the duck, that's they were not even going anywhere near it. Mm, I mean, they shut up shop in the last session, uh, mainly because Vahari couldn't run. You know, he, he was unable to run. He had a six off 100 balls because he couldn't physically get to the other end of the wicket. Um, the interesting thing from Australia's point of view, from a batting you know side of things, Raj, is that Will Bukowski left the ground in the second session um, didn't return and has been sent for scans. So a potentially dislocated or injured right shoulder for Will Pukowski may unfortunately rule him out for the Brisbane test. You know, it's only a few days away. Um, it's just so to catch a break that guy, can he? Cause I mean, he came in, you said uh, he, he, he seems a really positive character. I think that's, you know, we've talked a lot about intent and positivity and stuff in this series and how much of a difference, you know, those kind of little one percenters have made. But mm. it seemed like Will Pukowski is just full of all of those. Yeah, everyone who I've, who I've talked to who ha- who has known or has had any dealings with Will Pukowski is a, a, an incredible young man and a really positive fella. And he needs to be because he's dealt with so many, mm. you know, mental things and, and, and physical, now physical injuries holding him back from, from playing test cricket. He looked every inch the test cricketer in his in his 60-odd in the first innings. I think he's a tremendous talent and let's hope he can get back on the field for Australia because, as you said, they look like a different side with him and Warner at the top. What I love about him actually is, I was, I was thinking about this, he, he's kind of like the anti-Virat in terms of the way he plays the game. There's none of that extravagant stroke making. It's all measured, calculated, punches everywhere. And he, mm. he looks great and it's going gonna, it's gonna to serve him well all around the world. However, I do have a... Uh, a bone to pick with. I don't think that he is an opening batsman. I know he's been doing the job for Victoria and he's been scoring those runs, but he just wants to hit the ball. Mm. You know, he needs to bat a little bit further down the order, I feel. I completely agree with you. I actually think a 5-6 of Pukowski and Green moving forward for Australia, if you count Smith and and Manus locked in at three and four for the foreseeable future. Mm. If Australia can find an opening bat, someone like Harris or Bancroft or or even Nick Maddinson, anyone like that who can open the batting for Australia and do a similar job to Pukowski, I think that number five spot is his long-term and he'll eventually move up three, you know, four, three, whatever. I think he'll bat in that top order for Australia. But you're right, I think Australia have him there because they have no better opening bat, not because he is the best opening bat in the country. And you could argue on, you know, shield averages, he actually is. But I think that's not his best spot in the order. I think he's a three or four. And I'll bring you in here, Binksy, because we've talked a bit about keeping. But I think uh, generally the keeping's been poor this test. Uh, Punt's keeping in the first innings let India off the hook. And then obviously today there was a little little bit with pain, mm. missing a few opportunities. What mm, do you make of the massive. keeping? Yeah, look, it's a, it's a weird one. And um, I was looking at it from an England perspective because there was a, uh, some stats flying around around uh, Bairstow actually statistically being better stood up to the stumps than Ben Folks, um, which I found quite difficult. Very small sample sizes, but um, he'd caught a number of catches up to the stumps, but has a terrible record back um, to the quicks, Bairstow. Um, and yeah, as you say, I, I just really do think that this this COVID piece is playing havoc with preparation, you know, in terms of teams being able to get miles into the legs of their bowlers, enough quality practice potentially in. And yeah, look, I think we've talked about it a lot, but the fielding in world cricket uh, recently has been relatively sloppy um, and yeah, encapsulated by the two keepers on showing this test as well um, over the last four or five days. It's interesting. I th- I feel like uh, this injury to Bahari is now, and and just the injuries. I mean, you touched on it just before, but the injuries around the the Indian side, 
I feel like next test they're going to play Punt and Saha, aren't they? I mean, you'd think so. I would, I would have thought they're. Well, I would have thought they're going to do it because of the way things went today, but also because they've got no other options. Mm. Um, I mean, there's just been, and I think that's why I, I suppose this last day stand today has has I guess been given all of that hyperbole because they've just had so many other challenges. I mean, Verat's gone home. Sharma was missing for those first two tests. You've got Ishant not there. Shami broke his hand. You know, broke his arm. I mean, this yeah, that was out. The, yeah, that was out. You know, we can go on. Jadeja was 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 going to bat in this test, but you know, had to get a jab to Cal bat. Rahul. Rahul, you know, Rahul, who would have then come in for Vahari, probably you would have thought is now not there. So you know, they they've just had so many things against them, mm. and it's. I mean, segueing slightly, I, I I'm finding it so challenging as a New Zealander to kind of understand how India have had all of these challenges and are still putting up a massive fight against Australia. And we just fell flat on our face when we went there. I'd, I'm, and and when India came to us, we just dominated them. So I, I'm finding all of that, you know, really hard to, to reckon with. But, I, I, you know, let's not go into that. But I think as, a, as an Indian side, I think that's why they deserve all the credit they get because they've just had so many challenges. And, you know, I hope they can get an 11 that they're happy with for this final test because it's, it's going to be fascinating. So, guys, we, t- we touched upon the fact that India at lunch, probably with Rishabh Pant, um, had look a little bit of a chance of forcing a positive result. Uh, Pajara, though, showing a little bit of a lack of intent. Did that hold India back from potentially being in an even stronger position, do we think? No, I don't think so. I mean, a lot of people have been critical of, of Pajara's intent in, in, in this test series as a whole. Other than the fact that he hasn't maybe turned the strike over as much as his critics would like, India bat around Chiteshwa Pajara. And without Kohli there, in order for India to post a big score, he has to bat for a long period of time and everyone bats around him. We saw that um, almost in a perfect example in the fourth innings where Rishabh Pant had to play that way because because Pujara was, was leaving and making the opposition bowl to him. But once Punt was able to do that, Pajara got in on the action as well and, and you know, hit, I uh, can't remember if it was Stark or Cummins, but for three boundaries, three boundaries, three boundaries in an over, he, you know, he cut over, over the slips to, to, to bring up a boundary as well. You know, so he's not completely without intent. I think the criticism is the lack of intent to run between the wickets is, is still there for Pajara. He does a tremendous job of making oppositions bowl to him and wear down the Australian attack. And, and that was part of the reason why India drew this test because he has worn Australia down over this three test series. Yeah. I mean, for me, I'm a bit surprised about the sort of ne- negative rhetoric around it. I mean, he usually has someone like Rohit Sharma betting above him and Virat Kohli betting below him. He's, he's the kind of guy who might need that foil, someone who is scoring a bit freely. I don't think he's doing anything differently to what he did in 2018 when he when he put Australia to the sword. It's just that the results haven't been there. Oh, absolutely. I I, I completely agree with you in that sense that it, it's bizarre, all that stuff. You know, we just talked about Muhammad Abbas and what his role is in the, the Pakistan bowling attack. It's exactly the same here, right? That's Pujara's role. His role is to do that. And yeah, I, I would just I've just been really surprised by all the, the negativity. But I guess it's like that, you know, when things aren't working, maybe it's that type of cricketer can't dig you out of some of those holes, I suppose. But yeah, yeah. I mean, all he's really missing is a really big score this series, this time around, right? He's doing the same job. He's got to 50 and to 70 and, and Australia have managed to get through him. Whereas in 2018, 19, 
he was going on and getting 130, 140, batting for six, seven hours, and other guys in that order were attacking around him. And it's a completely different context in terms of the the scores that India are able to put up. What's interesting, I find, is that you just there's never any time pressure really in Test cricket anymore as well. So that that's why I'm, you know, that's another reason why just don't stress if he bats for 10 overs and nothing happens. It's actually completely fine because, you know, I guess, you know, years gone by, you went, oh, okay, well, you know, some tests are getting drawn and we're running out of time. But obviously this was a draw today, you know, but but that's because India chose for it to be a draw yeah. because they didn't want to push for the runs. If they'd wanted to push for the runs, they had enough time to get there. 100% they did, yeah. And Baldy, just a word on Cameron Green. You know, we've talked a lot about him, but certainly obviously the first time we've seen him um, really turn it on uh, on the biggest stage of all. And I know it was, a you know, setting up a declaration, so he had that license. Hmm. But boy, like, I'm scared of him. He, he reminded me of a, of, a, of a Kevin Peterson type character, some of the, the shot shapes he was playing. Yeah, the thing I really loved about Cameron Green's innings yesterday was that not only did he have license, but he was prepared to sacrifice his own wicket for the betterment of the team. I mean, it's great when you've got a license, you can go out and belt, you know, the opening bowler from India, Jasper Bumrah or whoever it is, for a six off the back foot over the, over his head at long arm. I mean, that's fantastic to be able to do that. But the fact that he was willing to sacrifice his wicket potentially, and ultimately he did on 84, he could have gone, well, you know what? I'm going to knock it around for four overs. I've got the captain at the other end. He'll give me however many overs I need to get to a hundred, you would hope, but he didn't, he went for it. And, and that's what I really like about him. He hasn't had the effect or the impact with the ball so far in this series, but I feel like on maybe in different conditions or on another time, he's going to make an impact with the ball, but he's just such a dynamic cricketer with, as we talked about Kyle Jamison with all the physical gifts that enable him to be, um, a difference maker for Australia um, in commentary, Kevin, um, not Kevin O'Keefe, um, Kerry O'Keefe. Yeah. Kerry O'Keefe was talking about the way that he gets his body into a position, even as a big man to be able to defend well, you know, so he's got the the physical attributes of a, of a fast bowler, but also a guy who can defend the good ball and play long innings as he has done um, in the Sheffield Shield as well. So he's got a massive future. And, you know, I'll go on record. I didn't think that Australian selectors should have picked either of those two kids uh, for this test series, but I'm glad they did because we've unearthed a, a real superstar this year instead of next. I think uh, with Cameron Green's emergence, uh, he, he's a person who could be picked generally as a batsman and someone who I think in time will, will show us he could be picked as a, generally as a bowler as well. But you look at Bukowski, you look at Manus, Green, Cummins, Australia's one young Shane Warne, one young Stuart McGill, one young Jason Crazier, away from being a very, very scary prospect for the next decade. Yeah, there's been a lot of talk of of Australia and India and to a lesser extent England being on the decline um, as, as test sides. And they've all got tremendous bowling attacks, sure. But there's a lot to like about all of those sides in terms of young batsmen, Pakovsky and Green for Australia, Shubman Gill, who's been outstanding for India in this series. You can throw Prithvi Shaw in there, Punt as well. There's a lot of young players in that Indian setup that are that are that are likable, you know, cricketers to, to watch for the future. And you only have to look as far as England's resurgence with Zach Crawley and 
um, with Dom, uh, not with Dom Sibley, with Zach Crawford, Ollie Pope, Ollie Pope, and now Dan Lawrence potentially as well to bat around Stokes and Root in that middle order for England. You know, a lot of a lot's been said about those three teams being on the decline in two or three years. I completely disagree. We're going to see some fantastic Test series based on the strength of those batting lineups. And and I guess before we get to the predictions and, and last little bits and pieces, you just touched on Shubman Gill. I mean. I want to talk about him a little bit more because I, I he he's been super impressive in this series. You know, just the composure I guess and that he's shown, and he just looked like he's belonged from the minute he walked out to to Test cricket. But I did wonder, you know, I, I know you're talking about um, Pukowski is maybe not an opener. Shubman Gill, obviously, you know, batting at the top of the order, it seems to have been his role for his whole career. But he doesn't really leave the ball. I thought. I, I, he, the way he's got out in these games and even just the way he goes about his business, he's been excellent. But I wonder if, if he's got a lot more development to come by just learning what balls to play and what, what balls to leave. Yeah. He's going to learn that as he gets older, he's only a young guy, but there are lots of opening batsmen in test cricket going around now who don't like to leave the ball either. You know, David Warner is an excellent example and Rohit Sharma is another one, both playing in this test series. And they both got, you know, relatively low scores um, going after deliveries. Warner looks a bit out of sorts coming back from that hammy. But, you know, there's there's nothing wrong with him wanting to have bat on ball as an opening batsman. It might get him found out in conditions like England when the ball does move a bit, if you're going searching for it as opposed to being prepared to let it go. But, you know, hopefully as he grows and, and plays in different conditions outside of India, he'll learn that. But, you know, you want to talk about Raj changing the complexion of a batting lineup, Shubman Gill's replacement for Prithvi Shaw, massive difference to the Indian batting lineup in terms of their intent. 100%. Well, Prithvi Shaw's intent is to score runs. He just couldn't find the he's, middle of his yeah, bat. Yeah, he's out of form. Um, to answer your question there around uh, opening batsmen and wanting to hit the ball, David Warner, to me, is an anomaly. He's someone who's gone out there in Australia in, in any conditions and done well being able to hit the ball. I don't so much have a problem with Indian openers going out there and wanting to hit the ball. Usually they're playing on, on, on pitches that aren't as, as friendly to the seamers early on. Mm. Uh, but What's really impressed me about Gil is at his young age, the way he's playing off the back foot in Australia, the way he's pulling the ball, those back foot punches, yeah, uh, that, that's something you don't really see in, in Indian cricketers like that, especially in foreign conditions like Australia with mm. that bounce. Mm, last time we saw that was a guy called Virat Kohli and he turned out to be all right. So before we get on with series predictions, guys, we do just want to uh, reference the off-field um, incidents uh, so that it doesn't appear as if we've ignored um, a lot of media about this. But Baldy, I, I think you just want to try and sum it up succinctly. Yeah, it's really clear in my view. I mean, we're not in possession of all the facts as regards what's happened on day four of the test match where there was an allegation of, of abusive behaviour by a member of the crowd. But it's really, really quite simple. There is no place for abusive or racist behavior in any way, shape or form from anybody in any walk of life, but particularly at a sporting event. You're purchasing of a ticket and you're privileged to go and watch cricket, um, in, is particularly in this day and age, but at any time, is a privilege. It doesn't afford you the right to make abusive or racist remarks to anybody of any nature, other spectators, players, it doesn't matter. There is... In this modern time, a navigation that we all must go through in our lives as we understand more and more what it means to be ourselves and what it means to interact with other people of other cultures around the world as the world grows smaller. But there is absolutely no place for abusive or racist behaviour in any society 
and it has no place in in the cricket field or or in the stands. So from my perspective, I hope this sends a clear messages message to supporters, all supporters of cricket, no matter where you come from, that that kind of behaviour abusive player towards behavior uh, towards players or other spectators should not and will not be tolerated moving forward in society. It might've been borderline acceptable or turned a blind eye to 30 or 40 years ago. It is no longer appropriate on a cricket field. And I just hope that if there's anything to be gained from that situation, it's a reminder that we've still got a long way to go in terms of our understanding of, of other cultures and the way that we behave in society. And that, we need to all work hard as, as a people to make sure that we are understanding and inclusive of, of other cultures and that there's no place for that. And that's all I really wanted to touch on in terms of that from, a, from a, an opinion point of view. Yeah, yeah. So moving on to the series predictions, we, you know, we've talked about momentum a lot. Where, where are we thinking now, guys? I mean, I'll come to you first, Binksy. You talked before about how India had swung the momentum. Has this just added it further? Have, have they got, uh, you know, an 11 now that can, can win this final test? What are you thinking? Yeah, so look, I, I, I don't think I was the one that brought up the momentum call. I think, um, yeah, there's an argument that a draw and a draw of this nature where they were in with the shot at lunch does give them that um, unbelievable mo. Um, for me, I just think it really is going to come down to the physios bench and whether or not they can get uh, some of those guys on the park for this final test match at Brisbane. Brisbane has been a fortress for such a long time for Australia that I, I find it really, really hard to believe that if we get a five-day test match uninterrupted by uh, weather, that Australia aren't going to take the spoils and nip this series 2-1. So that would be where I would sit. Um, but yeah, who knows? It's been a, a topsy... Uh, look, it was a topsy-turvy 2020, um, and, and 2021 has started in the same vein with, uh, yeah, with with uh, certainly a political uh, a political view. So maybe carried on into the cricket as well. Waldy, how about you from an Aussie perspective? It really hinges in my mind again on on health. I mean, if you if you have a look at the expected state of that Australia and India side, Jadeja probably out, Vahari out, Punt to come in. Uh, with Saha and then one other player to replace Jadeja, who knows who that might be from the Indian squad. I think Australia probably look like they're in better health and I would give them an advantage, but it really depends on whether or not those Australian bowlers pull up uh, from that marathon effort in Sydney. You would expect them to be able to do that and to back up in Brisbane. I think the conditions will be different to what we expect uh, early in the season in Brisbane. It won't look like a green seeming wicket and move all, all over the place. In my opinion, I think it will be slightly better for batting than that. Um, I, I, like you say, Stuart, my default position is to be pessimistic. Uh, and then if Australia win, oh, it's, I, I think India will win the test match and will win the wow. series. Wow. And I, and I have said that I have said that since the start of the series. And I think and Baldy, when was the last time someone won in Brisbane other than Australia? I think it's 1986 from memory. <laughs> so, so you, you genuinely think that we are going to see an event we've not seen for 35 years. I think that that kind of history is irrelevant because most of the time that we play test cricket in Brisbane, we play it under very different it's the first game. Yeah. And, and the, and the team has no momentum. They have no tour games. They have no momentum going into that test match. So it's a very different prospect uh, playing in Brisbane. So yes, I think it's entirely possible. Next time I've got to go first because these guys have stolen both my points. <laughs> I think that health is going to be, going to be essential. I think that, like I said, the pendulum swift, uh, this pendulum has swung uh, with all the, injuries that India have, especially to their bowlers. 
And like Baldy said, usually the, the one saving grace for India is that usually this Brisbane test is the first test of the summer. Mm. I don't think it's going to move as much, but that the, the very, the first day and how the team that's bowling first bowls is going to have a massive impact on, on this test match in, in Brisbane. Uh, I think that Australia will win it. Like I said, I think that they've got a much better looking batting lineup and a uh, yeah, their bowling lineup is their bowling lineup. Uh, Nathan Lyon will be a bit more uh, a bit more effective, I feel, than Ashwin in, in Brisbane. What's the what's the when are the when's the test start, fourth test? Uh, it's a few days. 15th, I think. 15th to 19th, yeah. Yeah, I think Australia for me. Yeah. Yeah, look, this test really has, in terms of kind of momentum and uh, way that the game unfolded, it's it's got a bit of a feeling of uh, the first test to the second test swing for me because if you look back at this test, you know, when you declare and set someone 400, you're on top, right? Australia was on top in this game. India is going to get a lot of plaudits out of coming out of it because they, you know, the way they went about that second innings and they went went about saving that match and giving themselves an opportunity to now win the series. But when you add all the injuries and stuff, Australia played the better cricket. Like to me, Australia played the better cricket in that game, and I think where you know India played perhaps the better cricket in that first test, aside from that one one session, and then we saw them actually get the benefit of that in the second test. I think it's going to be a similar case in that we saw Australia play the better cr- cricket in this third test, and they're going to get the benefit of that now in this fourth test and and win the series. But, you know, I, as I've said, I think India deserves a huge amount of credit for the way that they've fought in this series and, and whichever way it goes. You know, I mean, as a neutral, as a Kiwi, I always want Australia to lose. You know, <laughs> I, want, I want India to win this series from that point of view. Ball is going... Uh, this walked away, he's fuming. But you know, uh, uh, on the other side of it, uh, the the test test championship, it's going to be great for us if India does lose this. So it's it's sort of win win for me. But yeah, I hope we just get another great test because I feel like we've been really been treated to some some excellent test cricket over this Australian summer and uh, and the New Zealand summer so far. So yeah, let's see what happens on on Friday. I think it is. Well, look, that wraps up another mammoth episode of the top order podcast please do look out in your feed for our interview with jacob or um, black caps legend coming up in the feed talking about the black clash amongst other things um, but for now uh, please dip back into the back catalog have a listen to some interviews as you begin your commutes back to work and the real world after a lovely summer break here um, in new zealand um, and all around the world cricket starting up again um, in earnest as well so plenty on the box over the course of the next few weeks but for now it's good night from the top order podcast good night and god bless <laughs>